0: Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. Healthy things grow. That's a phrase I've heard over the years in the church world and it's usually in reference to church metrics, attendance, and numbers. But I've come to the opinion that large attendance doesn't always equal health because discipleship isn't always a given. It should be a given because that was the great commission given to us by Jesus. My guest today is Troy Kennedy. Troy is someone I highly respect and look up to, and as you'll notice, has a passion for worship and discipleship in the local church. He's been in ministry for over 30 years, and the majority of that time, he was a worship leader for churches, including a season at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. He and his family have been in the Kansas City area at Westside Family Church for many years, and he's currently the Next Steps pastor there. I've really enjoyed my time with Troy, and I know you will as well. So here's my conversation with Troy Kennedy. Hey, Troy, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I'm so, so excited uh, for our listeners to hear your story and hear what you have to share.
1: Thanks, man. It's really a privilege for me.
0: Well, like I do with uh, everyone else, I'm asking them, your craziest or funniest, maybe most embarrassing moment doesn't have to be (laughs) embarrassing, but just something wild that's happened to you on stage as a worship leader, as a worship leader. Well, I'll tell you once years
1: ago, um, you know how sometimes I don't know if you do this when I, when I used to get to bring a new song to the congregation, I would like try and teach a portion of it before we would start it. So I like teach the chorus or something to like, okay, everybody got it. Good. And then we go on and we'd, we'd actually start the song. And uh, in this case, it was a song that I had written. And um, we got up there and then, you know, we just finished like an opening song say, like, Hey, got something new for you. I want to teach it to you. This is how the chorus goes. And I was, I would, I would play the chord and for the life of me, I could not hear the melody. <laughs> and I'm standing there. And I was like, I wrote this and I really should know it. And <laughs> <laughs> I play the chord again. Nothing. I couldn't hear it. And I was starting to panic. And I look at one of my singers I go, how's it go? <laughs> <laughs> and she looks at me and she goes, Bla-la-la-la. I'm like, no, that's not right. That wasn't that wasn't it either. She didn't have it either. Turns out I was playing the wrong chord. <laughs> and I should have been playing like the five, and I was playing the root or something, just I was just playing something wrong. And eventually we figured it out, and the congregation got a big laugh at it out of it. And we <laughs> we did it, but I was just like. You'd think you'd know. You'd think you'd have that one figured out. And
0: I I just it was very funny. It is kind of wild, you know, because I write songs as well and written a lot of songs for our church to sing. And it is a wild, weird moment when you turn to your team and go ask them how your song goes. Yeah. How's it go? <laughs> I have I have definitely done that. Yeah. Or, or like forgot the lyrics. Oh man. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's it is a weird weird feeling (laughs) i have a mental block about lyrics as it is so i uh Uh,
1: when i was in when i was like 18 years old i was singing at a graduation of this college i was going to and a with an orchestra and a choir and the director and i'm a freshman singing this solo you know it's supposed to be a big deal and uh (laughs) i i got into this song there's like 150 people all in the band and the choir and stuff and i I got up to like the second verse of the song. It just came up blank.
0: Mm. Just
1: nothing like, and it had never happened to me before. So I just (laughs) panicked and I couldn't even make it up. Finally, by the time the chorus came around, I was able to do it. But the director's looking at me going, sing, sing anything, (laughs) just sing. (laughs) Ever since then, I've been scarred when it comes to lyrics. I got to have some kind of little support, a prompt or something somewhere Mm. so that I don't wind up uh, traumatizing everybody again.
0: Yeah, uh, I've always been good at remembering chord progressions. That's right. That comes really easy to me. Right. <laughs> but lyrics, yeah, lyrics can get me sometimes. Right. I've got arrangements, hundreds of songs. I have
1: the arrangements in my head, but I can't remember the words to
0: say. Right, that. right. Well, Troy, we go back um, back to Saddleback Church. I believe that's the first time I heard the name Troy Kennedy or saw you. You were on stage at the Purpose Driven Worship Conference back in the 2000s and it wasn't long after that i was in one of your workshops and i believe it was called if i knew then so the Mm -hmm. idea was if i knew then what i know now and you were a seasoned worship leader at that point and i what's i I shared with you when we talked that i still have the paper notes from that workshop because that really impacted me and that's really cool yeah yeah, there was some things that I took from that, that I I honestly just want to share them now because I think it'll help some people. But the, back then as a younger worship leader, you, you, you taught about the idea of owning the team and not the chair, right? That's something that I've taught to my team. That's wow. huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You talked about the idea of needing a rotation, e- even if you're in a small church, like institute that so people don't get territorial and that that really impacted. And I, I, I really respected, I remember you you're going over your history of being in small, medium and large churches. So why don't you share your history as a worship leader in ministry? You can even go beyond that. Yeah. Where has God taken you? Wow. Yeah. You know, um,
1: it's funny. I had no intention of like working in churches and stuff. I, um, I all I wanted to do is be a singer songwriter and, uh, be that guy. And I was actually, I got my music degree from Azusa Pacific, um, in Southern California. You know, I graduated from there in 90 and, um, had always just been a performer, had bands and wrote music and stuff. And then the, uh, the Dean of the school and his wife, they were going to start working with a church plant and, um. And for some reason, they liked me and they they asked me if I would come and, you know, try being their worship leader. And I was like, I guess, you know, I really had no ambition to do that. But uh, they took me to a Willow Creek conference. This is about 1990 um, in Chicago and just was a game changer because because all of a sudden it's like this church has a passion and a heart to minister outside of itself. You know, so the churches I had been a part of were all pretty insular. It was kind of like, you know, well, churches for church people, and that's who we are. And, and Willow had this passion to reach the community and to serve outside of the walls. And it, for some reason, that just really resonated with me. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, I can get on board with that. So then I, so I got on board with this church plant, And then, you know, ever since then, I mean, I had started leading worship in about 1988 while I was still in school. But this was like where I felt like maybe there was a bit of a calling there and uh, and other people recognized it in me before I did. And so that kind of began that trajectory of, you know, it's a church plant, real tiny. Um, I don't really, you know, obviously don't know what I know now, you know, just about teams and development and all that kind of stuff. Our first pastor was John Ortberg and uh, worked with him for like seven months before he got snatched up by Willow Creek and wound up being their midweek pastor. And then uh, after that, I went on to do some other things and did some singing and touring and whatnot. But ended up over the course of years um, working in churches anywhere from like 100 people to Saddleback, which at the time was like 16,000. kind of a broad variety of contexts and different denominational scenarios too that were really rich and beautiful. And, um, I don't know, just a really interesting journey that God's had me on, uh,
0: and kind of equipping me to do in a lot of ways what I'm doing now. So you were in different sizes of churches, different areas of the country. You ended, ended up, you're in Kansas city, the Kansas right. city area. Now tell us, tell us about how you ended up there. What's your role was when you got there? Yeah. So um, I was at another church in LA in the South Bay
1: part of LA. And I had uh, been married for a few years. We had just had both of our boys, my wife and I, and they, so they were very, very young. One was still in a, uh, an infant. The other one was like just barely a toddler. And um, I got a call from this church in Kansas city Asking me if I was happy where I was at, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I'm a Kansas City, or I'm a, I'm an L.A. guy. I'm never leaving Los Angeles because I felt like it was strategic. I loved L.A. I loved the smog and the cars, the pollution, and everything. I loved the weather, all of it. The ocean. I was dyed in the wool Southern California guy. And this pastor calls me. I was like, I don't think so. And then, long story short, as we prayed about it, and really felt like the Lord was releasing us from our assignment to this new place this new assignment sort of like a kingdom you know almost like a military kind of a thing i have a new post for you i want to send you so it's like when my wife and i realized almost at the same time that god was really in this thing Then it was like oh okay well i can do that um so i sold my surfboards and we moved to kansas city and i can't get any further from a large body of water than where i am right now um, but God called us to this really wonderful church that's doing remarkable things as the worship guy. And I've been there for 17 years. Um, but in the last two years, I've actually shifted from worship into discipleship. So I'm not on the platform doing music anymore. I'm not leading songs or anything, I'm not even really writing music anymore. And uh I've been fully just throwing myself into creating
0: um discipleship pathways for our congregation. That's fantastic, and the I love the idea that you ended up in a discipleship mm-hmm. uh, mode, which we'll talk about that in just a little bit because I know yeah. you got a lot, lot of heart and passion for that. You talked about the churches that you were in, and the different. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the, the the size dynamics. So mm-hmm. as you shifted from small to large to medium to m- to medium
1: right. large,
0: so you know what. How did how was that for you? What what was the differences? What did you like? What did you miss?
1: Yeah, it's um, a good question. I, I would say you know, and I know a lot of people they they sort of they they're critical of larger churches. I don't know. I always really enjoyed them. Um, at least back in the day, it used to be that uh, the smaller churches were the ones that were sort of the more ingrown. They were more about themselves. And it was the large churches with the ones that were trying to reach the community, that were trying to serve outside of the walls. And that was my experience. It's almost as if that dynamic is seen differently now that it's the large churches that are all about themselves. And it's the little, like, micro churches that are ones that are really doing the outreach. Hmm. Yeah, but that wasn't my experience at all. So I really liked the big churches for that heart for the community. Um, obviously, as a worship guy, Not to be too uh, mercenary about it, but you just have more resources at your disposal in a larger church. Oh sure. Um, But um, so you can do different things, and you, you know, I had staff and all of that. I, but I also know what it's like to be the one guy who is doing the graphics and doing the arrangements and editing the loops and (laughs) and writing the charts. You know, and just um, I remember my first full-time job, I was uh, basically my office was like this closet and I would be in there for hours and hours, just like doing everything. I would work on Memorial day. I'd work on the 4th of July. I would work because it would be like, okay, you have Monday off. I'm like, that doesn't help me because I have the same amount of work that I have to pack into a less time (laughs) just because we have a holiday. So that was really early on. And that, um, you know, you get your hands in a lot of different pieces of the ministry. And then as you get into some larger churches, then you can divest some of that responsibility to other people. But um, the biggest dynamic, I think, that is across all those size platforms is just pursuing team health above all things, protecting the team culture, um, protecting the values like humility and servanthood. Um, Because whether it's small or whether it's big, it can get sideways really fast if people Um, if you don't have healthy sort of uh, vision and boundaries.
0: When you say team, you, you, are you talking to church staff on the payroll or are you talking about volunteers or both? But, well, I mean, I would, yeah, volunteers primarily, you know, especially if
1: you're in a smaller church, you probably don't have any staff, but if you're in a bigger environment, if that includes your staff, for sure, because the staff are going to have a lot of influence on the team culture. So it's just trying to be cognizant of um, people who understand the mission and the vision, and they have the kind of character that um, see, doesn't see it as some sort of gig, uh, you know. And I used to say, and you know, you get repeated what you reward. So if you reward healthy um, perspectives and healthy character, you'll get that repeated. But if you reward sort of agendas and other things, then you're going to just get more of that. So once again, it's just it's protecting the culture of the team is like, that's the big thing in any of those environments that you have to look for. Um, I'd rather have great character and mediocre talent mm. than have great talent and mediocre character. Mm. Um, but thank God those things are not they're not mutually exclusive, right? You can have great talent and great character, but it's just you know, just praying that the Lord um, gives you discernment. And um, as you, you know, they always say if you're uh, if you're hiring staff, hire hire slow, fire fast, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I just see you it know, when it comes to even for volunteers and stuff, you know, everybody brings something to the chemistry of the team, and just you know, be. Wise and be um, don't be in too big of a hurry. Just somebody is like a great singer or a great guitar player or something.
0: It's it's worth vetting it for the sake of the overall team, right? Uh, what you you mentioned this, but what is your title, your role now at the church you're at?
1: Well, it we call it Next Steps. That's our, our that's our word for basically the discipleship department. So I'm a Next Steps pastor and uh, my role is primarily in content um, curating and and creation so i write classes and i design sort of systems that because we're a pretty large church so there's a you you got the big end of the funnel and you're trying to get people moving towards um, getting into biblical community and being equipped as disciples and being in places where they can have influence and serve and they can reproduce and all of that so that's kind of my job is to say, what are the, how do the systems effectively move people from in, into the church culture and be a part of the body and how do we equip them as disciples? And, um, and then I work with another guy who really more or less is like the logistics of small groups um, and getting people engaged in, you know, hundreds of groups around our community um, and tracking that and facilitating
0: that. And, you know, it's, I'm glad I don't have to do that part of it. <laughs> yeah. So you were a worship leader uh-huh. in the eighties, yeah. the nineties, two thousands. So you saw some changes happen. Mm. What, yeah, I guess so. Huh? Yeah. T- <laughs> t- tell me about that. Like what, what is your, what was your perspective of that? And, and what were the changes like positive, negative?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I remember when I was in college, we started hearing about this sort of this worship movement that was coming out of England. Bands like Delirious, um, those things were coming over, and they were starting to influence things in the U.S. And we started hearing names like Chris Tomlin and um, guys who were all the way on, over on the East Coast, and which was really cool. Um, you started seeing a lot of songs; they became um, more like worship choruses and stuff. And there was a season there where it felt like the songs are kind of like Lego worship. You could take the verse and the bridge and the chorus from three different songs and slap them together. And from a lyrical standpoint, it wouldn't make much difference. Right. It was just like all honor and praise and glory. And, you know, and it was, it was biblical stuff, but it wasn't particularly artistic. And you started seeing with the del- delirious and Tomlin and a lot of these people, they were coming up, they were starting to really write some beautiful, um, artistically-minded, thoughtful ways of approaching this the timeless message. And, uh, and that was really, really cool, really encouraging to me. And then about the time I got to Saddleback, which was around 2000, then the Hillsong thing really exploded. Um, Darlene Check, you know, Shout to the Lord, went all over the world really quickly. And um, when I was at Saddleback, we used to subscribe to the Hillsong uh, music thing where they would actually send you spiral bound books of arrangements of their songs with brass and all that. And and it was really cool. It was a really big shot in the arm because, um, at, at that time, there's no one else was doing that and they were really writing great music. So that was really influential. Um, and then that continued on you started to see more coming out of the U S and so, the the advent of like the elevations and all the stuff that was coming out of passion all those things started really surfacing more and more so i would say the music from about from the 80s up until even like the 2010 just got better and better and better for worship and um it, it was it was more guitar-oriented. It seemed like they were getting away from, everyone was trying to sort of copy what U2 was doing and <laughs> bands like that. And it started becoming almost like it's a musical idiom in its own, um, which there's upsides and downsides to that, right? Because really, worship shouldn't be a musical genre, um, and it kind of became that over time. Um, and that's, you know, there's obviously there's some deficits to that because not every culture is going to resonate on that same frequency. So, um, and then you get other artists like Israel Houghton and people like that started really doing some interesting things, more multicultural kinds of things. I'm a big fan of Tommy Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy was doing that like way before it was cool back in the days when, uh, like more songs like morning into dancing and. Um, that's why we praise him, things like that. So, uh, and I actually sang for Tommy for, for a few years. That's kind of where the Lord really opened my eyes up to worship and gave me a passion for it. So it was, it was in that little church there in Eagle Rock between Pasadena and Glendale in LA, where God turned the light on for me, even though I had led worship and stuff before that, I didn't really get how beautiful and, uh, Powerful and integral, it needed to be in the life of the believer. It was just kind of like, well, you know, you got to kill some time before the pastor gets up and and, <laughs> and preaches the message. So God really got a hold of my heart under Tommy, and and then eventually led me to Saddleback, and then led me here to Kansas City. And when I got to Saddleback, I started writing a lot of music because that's what everybody was doing, you know churches were writing their own songs and if they had a life outside of the church, it was great. But if they didn't still there for your context. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, and it seemed like then we're talking about trends in the last 10 years or so, the celebrity worship leader, I kind of was becoming a bigger and bigger deal. And, um, So we just have to be cautioned by that and uh kind of you know learn how to diffuse that that mentality i guess um because it's a pretty heady thing to get in front of a lot of people and you know play your music and sing and and all that and it really it takes a remarkable a remarkable amount of character to handle that responsibility well guys like charlie hall and crowder and you know i don't think any of those matt redmond those guys weren't trying to be celebrities but it's sort of the, God gave them a certain amount of influence and some of those guys handled it really, really well. Um, praise God for them, man. I mean, so Matt Redmond, golly, that guy, what a wonderful writer, what a great heart, you know, and how God has used people like Tomlin and all these years. So really grateful for those guys. And I, I just think it's a caution when the industry gets behind it and you got to really be wise in how you navigate it. And some guys do that really well and some sort of come and go.
0: Yeah. Transitioning to Kansas city, you were the worship leader for a season. Then you transitioned to your role now. Yeah. Was that tough to give up the worship leading Uh, on sun on sunday or saturday services on the stage or were you ready for it (sighs) yeah no that was hard (laughs) and uh because i was here
1: for 15 years as the worship pastor that's what they hired me to do and and i'm older i'm 57 years old now so i got here when i was 40 and um Came in as the worship guy, you know, developed a team I was really happy with, developed the worship kind of values and culture and those things, you know. And and I think uh I the Lord was just so gracious and patient with me because I'm just thinking I'm just gonna ride this pony, you know, until I can't ride it anymore. And um, but you know, you and I both know as we get older, it's it's wise to raise up other leaders, Wise to start passing the baton, you know, I would lead fewer and fewer songs in a given Sunday. I would, you know, give away those roles to other people. Um, and, but I still headed up the team and kind of uh, determined direction and all that. And it was great. And I was thinking it was really healthy and really good. And, um, me, it's hard to see your own expiration date in the mirror. I think, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, the, the hamburger buns is starting to get stale. We might want to think about doing something else and uh, praise God for our lead teaching pastor. He started having the conversation with me and saying, Troy, you know, I think we're going to need to head, we're going to need to do something else. And I, I was a little, I don't always say panicked by it, but it's a little bit of an existential crisis because, you know, it's been such a part of your life for, you know, 32 years. Um, and, and, I'm like I don't I don't know what else to do, like I feel like I actually know what I'm doing in this area, and <laughs> who's going to hire me to do that? You know, at my age and everything. So it was one of these things where I had a lot of two AM conversations with Jesus, and a lot of, um, well, what next, Lord? What are you going to do? I still have children in the house. I uh, you know I'm looking at college for them and all this. So I, it was really um, scary, prayerful desperate, you know, on your knees kind of time. And at the same time, the church was really great. They weren't like saying, you know, you're out of here in six months. They're just, they were saying, look, we're going to help you discover what the next season looks like. Um, and we're not trying to get rid of you. We're not in a hurry. If, if it takes a couple months, if it takes a couple years, we're going to, we're going to walk with you as we head into this next thing. So I didn't have that cri- like financial crisis or anything, but it was definitely, um, really hard and i got a hold of a book by john eldridge called fathered by god uh, which was really timely and helpful and basic message of that was you know the lord is he's not going anywhere we're doing this thing together i have my heavenly father who has a perspective that i don't have who sees down the road where i can't see and asking me to trust him as we walk into this new season because on one hand when I was 25 and I was single, it was like, yeah, no big deal. I can live in my car, right? Um, but when you're, when you're 55 and married and I've got children and responsibilities and all those kinds of things, it's like it's a whole other ball game. And I just remember the Lord saying, Troy, you trusted me when you were 25, when you had little. Can you trust me when you think you have a lot? And the answer has to be, well, Yeah. <laughs> Of course I do you know um, it's just it feels like the consequences are greater and in the kingdom picture it's you know God is patient and he's he's kind and he uh, really walked me through it but it was it was a few months of like gosh, I don't know what's going on And then I've always sort of had a mind for apologetics and theology and in 2018 I had started writing a book um, basically, on how do you help people walk in greater intimacy with jesus and have their character transformed from the inside out to be more like him and, and experience the the abundance of kingdom intimacy with god in the here and now because that's what i wanted and so i was exploring all of that on my own and we had a, a group of young adults that meet in our living room here at the church or at my home and um and I actually walked them through that whole thing, 12 weeks of spiritual practices and stuff. And I wrote that just on my own because I cared about it and it was important to me. I had a passion for it. And um, so all that to say that me moving into this discipleship role where we're trying to figure out how can we put handles on those things for, for the whole church, not just for my young adults here, was a really kind of like an obvious segue that I never saw. And I never thought I could be doing what I'm doing now, which is just, I wake up grateful every day that I actually get to exercise this whole other part of my brain. Um, And just, just to say this, you know, in the worship area, when you've done something for like 30, some years, you're kind of, your potential has been realized, you know, (laughs) you're pretty much getting what you're going to get out of me. It's like, you know, I can incrementally grow and I could become a little bit better of a this or that, but pretty much that's, that's what it is. This is, and in this other area in discipleship, I'm utterly, completely unpotentialized. And so I feel like this next, you know, maybe 20 years, I've, I can really make a, a contribution and I can really maximize this whole other part of what God has given me in ways I never anticipated. And that's, that's really exciting. And I'm so, once again, I'm so grateful for what he's doing.
0: That's amazing. I am inspired by that as an aging worship leader, and I'm ex- I'm excited as well for what's ahead in yeah. my, my ministry. Um, and, and I know you have a book coming out in the near future about discipleship. I'm excited about that. Definitely want to have you back on to talk yeah, about thanks. that. That's That really excites me as someone who is passionate about discipleship as well. Mm-hmm. I really hope that worship leaders or church leaders listening to this will get inspired to, yeah, look at the spiritual growth of the people that they're leading and shepherding. That's yeah, such yeah. an amazing calling. Well, and the truth is, um, discipleship is a team sport.
1: You know, it's not just the pastor. Right it's it's the church it's the pastor it's the local church it's the small group it's the worship team it's the uh the mentors it's the spiritual friendships it's all of those things are a part of the discipling of anybody it's just not always as intentional and organized maybe as it could be but um yeah so worship, i mean the worship team all that it's absolutely a component of discipleship the songs that you pick are giving people a heart vocabulary and in their intimacy with Jesus. And that is absolutely a discipling mechanism.
0: Well, brother, thank you for your time. I definitely am going to have you back to hear more because you've got a lot more to share and appreciate you and all that you've done. Thanks for your impact on me as well.
1: Well, oh, Thank you, man. It really is a privilege. And I, uh, Yeah, I would love to come back and chat some more with you. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Troy. Thank you. Talking to Troy, I was reminded of the calling and privilege that I have as a worship leader. Did you catch what he said at the end? He said, discipleship is a team sport. If we're doing this right, we're actually playing a part in equipping, inspiring, and discipling the church. That's a higher calling than just singing and performing songs every week. I speak to this in my book, More Than a Worship Leader. Here's what I said don't settle for just being in front of people be in the lives of people it's easy for us to focus on the music gear and overall experience we need to focus more on people after all they are the church spending time with people forces us off the stage and places us into their lives our love for god will nudge us toward people I'm inspired by Troy to embrace and step up to the higher calling of discipleship. And I'm encouraged to know that as a worship leader, I can make an impact on and off stage in the lives of those I lead. We'll never regret loving people. Love is more important than any song we will sing. Jesus is love and love will make us more than a worship leader. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.